Season's going to end on a double doink, 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 doink. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea. And then, uh, Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. The doctor is now in. Hour number two here on this wild Wednesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Glad to have you with us, yes? Hour number one, jam-packed full of college football talk with Houston Nutt, the former coach at Ole Miss, Arkansas. Has done a fine job for the past 11 seasons with CBS Sports. Studio work for Houston Nutt, fantastic. Appreciate him for joining us. And then Trevor Maddich over on ESPN. Of course, our guy, uh, both those guys, have uh, been part of the show for many, many years. Appreciate the time. Spend a lot of time recapping the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl and a look ahead to the national championship game, which will take place on Monday night. It's Washington and Michigan. Tough. Four-and-a-half-point choice are the Michigan Wolverines as we sit right now. Chuck Esposito will join us a little bit later this hour. We'll hear from Chuck. Chuck over at Red Rock Casino. We'll get to his thoughts uh, on the betting for the championship game as well as week 18 in the NFL and a lot of, say, opt-outs that we will have for the NFL as five teams have clinched. So those five starting quarterbacks will not play. So some line movement there. We'll talk about that with Chuck. And also programming note, Friday, of course, at the Westgate Las Vegas, our Friday home. No better place to be than the Superbook, the non-smoking Superbook. Jay Cornegay and company uh, will join us on Friday. And then Monday, we'll be right back there doing the show live leading up into the national championship game between Washington and Michigan. Uh, Jay Schrader will join us. Marco D'Angelo will be back, too, on Monday. Marco has been uh, out of town on personal business uh, in Pittsburgh. So uh, shout out to to Marco. And um, hopefully everything is going well for him. Uh, back there uh, attending to some family matters, and he will be back and join us next Monday uh, back uh, at the Westgate as well. Jake Cornegay, John Murray as well will join us, but uh, a lot of fun, of course, at the Westgate Las Vegas. Uh, fantastic Superbook legendaries we know, proud sponsors of the show, and we're uh, grateful to be out there on our Friday home as well as other times during the course of the year too, especially when we have the big games and events that uh, – we lead up to that. So look forward to that. So Friday and Monday at the Westgate Las Vegas inside the world-famous Superbook. All right, we'll touch uh, more NFL stuff coming your way. 20 teams are alive for the Super Bowls. We head into the final week. 20 to 32 still alive. Five teams have clinched. Baltimore, Kansas City, Cleveland, Miami. Uh, those teams, San Francisco, they're in there ready to go. And other teams are are playing. Other teams have clinched playoff berths, but still to be determined, especially over the NFC, when you look at uh, what's going on there with the Cowboys and the Eagles and the NFC East. So a lot still up for grabs. San Francisco have clinched the number one seed in the NFC as they have taken care of business as they've been accustomed to doing the last few years there in the NFC West. So Brock Purdy will not play 
in that game as well. Patrick Mahomes will sit out for Kansas City. They've locked up the AFC West. And then uh, Lamar Jackson will not play. Baltimore sent with the number one seed in the AFC. And Joe Flacco not going to play for Cincinnati. And Matt Stafford will not play for the Rams. So make those notes as you're handicapping the final week of the regular season games. And let's touch on this. We got the Raiders and the Broncos at the final game for both teams. Neither team going to the playoffs. Raiders officially eliminated after that loss to Indianapolis. And when you look back at the Raiders season, it was a disappointment. And I know that the total number of wins was six and a half. And the Raiders got over that barely. The And a lot of people thought, oh, that's kind of a low number for the Raiders because they thought, okay, hey, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be starting. We got Devontae Adams. Uh, this should be pretty good. Well, like the last few years, the Raiders season turned into a train wreck with another coaching change in midseason. Not only a coaching change, but a general manager change and Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler going bye-bye. And now you got Antonio Pierce, who many people think that he should have the job uh, going forward, but that's not going to be the case as far as being an automatic choice. Mark Davis, after this final game against Denver, that's going to be played Sunday at 125 at Allegiant Stadium. Mark Davis will take his time. He will consult with the people that are in his circle, and he's going to dig deep because he knows. He swung and missed with the Josh McDaniels hiring. Mark Davis, not speaking for him, just analyzing. I know that he's just sick and tired of having to go through this. Sick and tired. And in comparison to, not it's supposed to be a comparison, but just in comparison to the other team and franchise he owns in the Aces, I mean, that is on autopilot. Because when he took over, he had a solid coach, Hall of Fame coach and Bill Lambeer. Um, Bill was winding down his time. And Becky Hammond was going to make her way back to the WNBA. She really wasn't until Mark Davis made the offer along with Nikki Vargas. And that has just worked out swimmingly well. Why do people say swimmingly? I don't understand. But, I don't know. But I just used it. And I kind of like it. But Aces back-to-back champions. And Mark Davis has is not only riding the wave here, but he has a lot to do with building that uh, that front office with Nikki Vargas and Natalie Williams, hiring quality people, and Becky Hammond, again, just a fantastic job that she's done. Highest paid coach in the WNBA history and should have won back-to-back coaching titles. But uh, just using the blueprint there of the Aces. And Mark Davis has just, it, it has not been smooth. It was not his fault that the John Gruden situation blew up. It was not his fault at all. And you can make the case, and I'll make a case, that the Raiders were on the right path with Gruden. But the email scandal came out, and then that got blown up. Mark felt that he had no other choice but to let Gruden go, even though he was paying him $10 million a season and felt that the Raiders were going to reap the rewards of this eventually down the road. You had to deal with the pandemic, coming out of a season out of the pandemic. So, you know, the drafts were not great. Sure, they needed to probably make a change at general manager, get rid of Mike Mayock. And you go the Patriot way, it clearly did not work. 
The players did not buy into it. And speaking of Denver, who the Raiders are facing this week, I'm sure they're, they were laughing the entire time saying, Hey, Josh McDaniels didn't work here for the Broncos. Not surprised it didn't work for the Raiders. And a lot of people said that. I said it too. It's like you just, it was not good. The Josh McDaniels era in Denver. And that's what you have to go by. What is, a coach done as a head coach, not as a coordinator, not under the future Hall of Famer and the legend Bill Belichick. But what can you do on your own? And it was not pretty in Denver. It was not pretty here in Las Vegas for the Raiders. So now a lot of the public are out there saying Antonio Pierce should should have the job, should be a slam dunk. And it's not a slam dunk at all. All right, especially now when you have a guy like Jim Harbaugh could be available and probably will be available. The Michigan situation, we've spent a lot of time the last two days talking about the national championship game, talking about the semifinal games. And there is that underlying story that is front and center, just as important as who's going to win the national championship. Will Jim Harbaugh be back at Michigan? Is it his choice? Will it be the university's choice? He was suspended for six games this year. So he's got some luggage. He's got some baggage. There's no question about that. He has hired a new agent, the same agent that Tom Brady had, Mr. Yee. And we know the connect the dots, right? Tom Brady is part owner of the Las Vegas Aces. Tom Brady wants to be part owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. The NFL is still vetting that process. And eventually it looks like Tom Brady will be a minority owner of the Raiders. So Brady is going to have Mark's ear like he has probably for the last year or so. And Jim Harbaugh, Michigan quarterback, Tom Brady, Michigan quarterback, alum. There's a lot of connect the dots there. Didn't make a lot of sense. The Chargers have an opening. Would Harbaugh want that? Got to believe whether Harbaugh wins or loses, this is his last game as head coach of Michigan, whether it's his choice or Michigan's choice. But the bottom line, the NFL has nothing to do with any of those sanctions at Michigan. They don't care uh, about him being suspended for six games, as long as it doesn't happen on their watch in the NFL. But it's a different playing field. Jim Harbaugh probably does want to return to the NFL and probably should. He was a great coach with the San Francisco 49ers. Remember where it started for Harbaugh. His coaching career started as a member of the Raiders. Okay. He was a quarterback's coach for the Raiders for a couple seasons. So Al Davis loved Jim Harbaugh. What he loved about him, that he loved his work ethic. He loved that he was a former player. You know, Al just loved that. And Mark loves that as well, too. Hence, going back, Becky Hammond and, you know, one of the greatest, one of the top 50 players of all time in the WNBA. All right. It likes those players, feel like they've got game experience, they've got relationship experience with players. So, that's why Antonio Pierce makes some sense, but let's be real here. Antonio Pierce is not a head coach. All right. He's interim head coach right now. He could be a good coordinator, but he's not ready to be a head coach. What we've learned from Antonio Pierce is yes, he's commanded the locker room. Players love playing for him, but that only will take you so far. You have to be able to be a good play caller, game manager, and know what to do with your timeouts and make the biz- biggest decisions. All right. You don't just sway it over to your offensive coordinator or your defensive coordinator. And we've seen him burn timeouts inexcusably in first halves, especially 
did it again last week. It seems like every week we're saying the same thing. So there are flaws to Antonio Pierce as a head coach. Great guy, great passion. It's a guy that you want to keep on your staff. Now, whoever the head coach is, does more than likely is not going to keep any of these coaches. They have the choice. If you look back, every time there is a head coaching hire, they will either keep zero of the assistant coaches retain to maybe a maximum of three. So depending on who it is. Now, you know, Jim Harbaugh, if he is the guy and there's a great opportunity, he could be the guy and he's going to be, he's got to be the front runner to be the Raiders job. And I'm sure he'll take it because he loves a challenge. This is a major challenge. It's one of the biggest rebuilding projects in, in all of sports because the Raiders have not been relevant for 20 years. So, so Harbaugh, a legitimate candidate, but doesn't necessarily mean that Antonio Pierce would return as a coordinator. So time will tell. And I'll just say this, that this game on Sunday between the Raiders and the Broncos, it's not Antonio Pierce playing and having to win to, to keep a job. That decision, I think, is going to be made later. And Mark Davis may already have his mind made up. Either he's in or he's out. I'm sure he's going to give him a glowing recommendation to whoever the, he hires as a new head coach and say, hey, I really like this guy, so we want you to give him some serious consideration. But knowing Mark, when I know him, he's going to say, hey, I'll support you, you know, your vision here and hire whoever you want because that's the way he does business until he has to step in and make a change. So after practice today, mm-hmm. Devontae and the whole locker room basically said, that's my vote. That's how the whole locker room feels about having him as a coach. Antonio Pierce. Yeah. Does that sway uh, Mark Davis at all? Not at all. Now, I know that some people are going to think that that is swaying, but it's not. When you are owner of the team and you are responsible, you're solely responsible for this decision, all right, if the head coach doesn't work out next year, it, it's the players don't get the blame. Heck, let's be honest. Half these players aren't even going to be here. They won't even be in the building. True. There are going to be multiple changes. All right? So I think you have to look at this situation being a Mark Davis decision, and he is not going to make a decision to appease the players. Now, if you're thinking that he made the decision with Josh McDaniels to fire him midseason because it was the players saying, hey, we we don't like this guy. Mark Davis saw with his own eyes. He talked to players, but he saw the product on the field wasn't very good. The coaching decisions weren't very good. Josh McDaniel's personality wasn't very good. Heck, the decision making on, on third and fourth down wasn't very good. So all of that goes into the equation. But just a player's rally or players saying, hey, he's our vote, that's not going to mean anything to Mark Davis. I don't know that for a fact. That's just my opinion, saying that he's got a hit on this. There's been too many misses here with the Raiders, and he wants to nail this. He is tired of being under scrutiny here. So I expect Mark Davis to take his time, make a decision, and get a quality head coach. A quality head coach, not a coordinator. And definitely you do not want to take a flyer on a guy like Antonio Pierce who's done a Pretty good job. Let's be real, people. He's done a pretty good job. He's done an excellent job at all. If he's done an excellent job, 
we wouldn't be questioning the timeouts and everything else here, the decision-making, the play calling. We wouldn't be questioning that. And you'd come away with wins. You'd win that game. Back against the wall, you got to have a victory to keep your playoff hopes alive. You win in Indianapolis. And then there's the quarterback situation. If you truly want to win games, you get, you take Jimmy Garoppolo. Forget the contract. Forget all that nonsense. No Derek Carr repeat. What are we doing here? What are the Raiders doing? You're ta- they're grooming. Is that what they're doing? Grooming Aiden O'Connell. And let's say this. Saturday or Sunday's game against the Broncos. The rematch from week one. Remember we were talking about, well, that's weird. Week one, we're, and we got a lot of that this week. Week one and week 17 or week 18, first and last game of the year. Raiders beat the Broncos by one point. Russell Wilson versus Jimmy Garoppolo. Who would have thought that the final game of the season between these two teams, heated rivals, that you would have Aiden O'Connell versus Jared Stidham? That's what you got. This is an exhibition game. This is literally an exhibition game where you have two third-string quarterbacks. Now, technically, Stidham is, is, is the backup, but you know what I'm saying. Jared Stidham was a second- or third-string quarterback here. At, at When they signed Garoppolo, Stidham says, I'm out. And now, you think Jared Stidham is going to be fired up for this game? Oh, yeah, for sure. Not- Sean Payton is going to be fired up for this game. Broncos got nothing to play for. Nothing to play for. And you could say that Antonio Pierce is fighting for his job. He wins. No, that's really not part of the narrative. The narrative is that Jimmy Garoppolo and Russell Wilson, the two highest, two of the highest paid quarterbacks in the National Football League, franchise quarterbacks of their respective teams, are on the bench. Why? Because both teams stink. Both teams underachieved. And their employer does not want to have to sacrifice maybe paying them the money if they get hurt because both quarterbacks are probably done with their respective teams. What's the, what's the chances that we see Jimmy? Zero. Good job. Zero. So the, the, the same percentage you see Russell. Zero. Yeah. 100%. And the thing about it is, why was Russell Wilson even the number two quarterback because he would have gone in the game last week. If you want nothing to do with him, you make him the number three and you make him inactive. That's what you do. Pretty crazy stuff. But that's what we got. We we have basically an exhibition game happening on Sunday where it has no meaning whatsoever as far as playoff implications. It's just kind of a feel-good story. I mean, it's probably the least interesting game on the docket. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. The least interesting of all of them. But we're going to go. We're going to watch it, report on it, talk about it, see how it goes. But if I would have told you or someone would have told me, hey, Aiden O'Connell versus Jared Stidham in week 18, you would have said, okay, that means Garoppolo and Wilson were injured during the course of the regular season. That's it. Not that they are healthy scratches. Yeah. They're both healthy, healthy scratches. But if you really truly wanted to win games, you would have had, uh, from the Raiders' perspective, perspective, you would have had Jimmy Garoppolo playing the last seven weeks. Yeah. So yes, you ra- you ra- ran out of here yesterday. I did. You did. 
because I had places to go, people to see, things to do, popcorn to eat. Popcorn. Yes, I did. I had to catch. Uh, I had to catch a show. What movie did we see? So we saw The Iron Claw. Oh. So you know, uh, wrestling close to my heart. Yep. Um. So now we're gonna back up the story a little bit because when I told you when I was exiting the building yesterday, you said to me, "I said you're probably not gonna you go, like." Go this. ahead, tell people what you said. Yeah. I said you're probably not gonna like this. I've heard a lot of reviews about it from people that are into wrestling, in wrestling, anything like that, that you're not going to like it. Yeah. You thought that I would not like the movie. Or that you'd have a weird, like. So why do you say that? Because I hear it's just like. Okay. I mean, I, but, so I haven't so seen why it would yet. Because you, because obviously you, you know my history with yes. wrestling. And so you were thinking because I was in the business, because you're in the promotion, business, that I would not like which aspect of it that it wasn't realistic Okay, so here's or, the thing. You know so, what I'm saying? So when you hit me with that yesterday, you saw the look on my face like, yeah, wow, you had me a little concerned and worried. But I was more concerned, like, why were you saying that to me? What, Like, which aspect that you were, why you were saying that? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, what is it that, that, that I'm not going to like? So you know me, I like going into these movies knowing a little bit about it, but yeah. I don't want the full Monty. No matter, not just wrestling or sports, but just any movie I want to see because if I want to see it, I want to see it, then I want to form my own judgment. So as I was getting ready to watch this movie, I was thinking a lot about you, about, okay, hmm, I wonder why he thinks I won't like it. Is it the realism fact? Because I'm a stickler with that. Yeah. I am. So let me say this. I saw Iron Claw last night. I liked the movie. I enjoyed it. But I will say this, that from the history standpoint, like any movie, they did make some changes, but it really wasn't so much with the wrestling aspects. It was the family dynamic. Yeah. All right. So, for example, the Von Erich family, um, Fritz Von Erich, the father, real name Jack, you know, he had six kids. They only focused on five of the kids, really. Chris, the youngest, they didn't even they focus on. And this really took place from basically 1979 to 1990 is, is focused. So right in the pocket of my era. So um, I was not a big Texas wrestling guy because you got to remember at this point in time in the in the 70s and the early 80s mid 80s everything was regional yeah okay so i was a sacramento guy in the 70s 80s big time wrestling which was a subdivision of the nwa yeah. which texas dallas was the sportatorium is the venue there in dallas famous famous sportatorium okay but we didn't get a chance to watch that we knew some of the names the wrestling that I followed in Sacramento was a direct connection to the WWF. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Ray Stevens, Pat Patterson, those guys were there and then they got jobs in the WWF of Vince McMahon at the time. And so that was one of the main reasons why I got a satellite dish so I could watch WWF, watch all of the shows, the superstars of wrestling show on Saturdays to watch the Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, the first Mondays. And again, that was pre Hulk Hogan. Then Hulk Hogan came in. And so that was, that was my jam 
was aware of the Southern Wrestling Organizations, which later became WCW and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So this kind of touched on solely Dallas. So you got to remember, I was not the biggest Von Erich fan, and I really did not know so much of the history. Now, guys like Terry Funk, who worked for me, you know, later on, you know, going back in the nineties and everything, I knew his history with the organization. Obviously, I knew the Von Erichs, but I did not know the, you know, 100% factual because it wasn't seen national and world, worldwide. So to me, um, I went back and I looked and I think they nailed everything. We saw Ric Flair. We saw Harley Race. Yep. Uh, you know, and I thought the wrestling scenes were great. Here's one for you, because I didn't even look at this cast. I had no idea Zach Efron played. Yeah. Played, um, the, uh, the Von Eric that, yeah. that was, uh, uh, Kevin Von Eric. Yeah. I did not know that until the credits rolled. I was like, wow, he did a fantastic job. He bulked up good. You know, had a little Jim Helwig Ultimate Warrior kind of look to him. Yeah. It was buffed out and everything on that night. So uh I love the references. We've got a Terry Funk reference. We got a a Helwig reference in there, Harley Race reference in there. Um, you know, so so that was cool. But I thought You got your main buddy in there yeah. too. The Sheiky was in yeah, there. Yeah, Sheiky. Sheiky exactly, baby was in exactly, there. Exactly, exactly. Except they didn't call him the Iron Sheik, they just called, they the called him the Sheik. But I saw that, you know, right away as well, too. So that was cool. And remember, Sheik spent some time yep. down in the NWA because the NWA was up in Minneapolis and then expanded down to that, that territory where Fritz von, von Erich uh, ruled. I like the movie. Um, but going back, I understand why they tried to they make some of the family changes because there was too much death. There was too much death. Anybody knows the story of the Von Erichs. It was the saddest thing in the world as they lost, what, four sons, five sons to death. Yeah. That died. And we actually witnessed, what, three or four of them in this movie. So they didn't want to do the one with Chris, who had all those others, because they, you know, that would be just too much. And he was not a, a focal point from the wrestling part of the family. But I thought uh, the actor that pay, played the father, Fritz von Erich, was fantastic. Showed him wrapping up his career in the late 50s and to run the territory as the promoter. So, no, I enjoyed it. And here's what I really liked, too. The wrestling scenes were probably... Some of the best wrestling scenes. These wrestling scenes were better than the wrestler of the movie and, and other ones that we've seen. Yeah. By far. Uh, and, and they nailed it with the, you know, not withholding names and, in wrestling organizations. I thought they did a fantastic job of going behind the scenes, kayfabing a lot of stuff. All right. I, I, I really appreciated that. So, um, it was kind of a, a, a downer movie, but if you know anything about the Von Erich story, you knew it was going to be that. So, as far as the realism, no, oh. I, 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 I think they nailed it. Okay, I so, just wanted to make so sure. So now I want to hear from your standpoint, others that you I heard. I know you didn't see it, but just tell me some of the stuff that you heard. That just people saying that it wasn't like factual. So I was watching a live, and they were talking about it, and one of the old ECW people mm. were in it or, or we're talking about it. Yeah. Talking about it wasn't, you know, realistic. And it, so I wasn't fully aware. Here's the point. So, I, I wouldn't put much credence into ECW people because those are East Coast people. I know. You got to talk to people, God rest his soul, Terry Funk, people like that that were involved in in the South like that. 
I wish Sheik was still alive because then you could ask him because he would have been a great, you know what I'm saying? So not to disparage, because I don't know who the people you're talking about, but especially if they're younger of the younger generation and they're East Coast based, I I wouldn't take what they had to say as far as what's factual and what's not. Now there was, I'll tell you what, the actor that played Ric Flair did not, I thought that was the, the worst. Aaron Einsberg. Terrible. Yeah. No, I, I've seen I've seen a little Terrible. clip that was and bad. He doesn't no. And here's the problem. I mean, his his interview monologue that he was doing, it, it didn't get it. And you know that was it's tough to cast Ric Flair, but they did a really good job of Harley Race and other guys that we're going to recognize. Uh, the Freebirds, Michael P. S. Hayes, and those they nailed it. And even the Von Erichs, they they yeah. nailed it. Yeah, they really did. Especially Fritz, they. Put a lot of thought and effort in, in casting into this. They nailed it. The wrestling scenes were fantastic. The, the whole Southern stuff, the Dallas stuff, they nailed it. So, um, the one scene that again, I'll admit, I do not know if it's true. And I want, and I tried to find out and I couldn't find out. There was a scene where Kevin is fighting Ric Flair in Dallas and, and Kevin put the claw on Flair. And Flair was bleeding profusely and they disqualified him. So I'm thinking, okay, I, you probably did this for effect because I can't believe that they would, he would go off script because he is a professional, wouldn't go in the ring, especially a guy uh, with Ric Flair. And the, the directors are playing to the fact that, okay, he's coming off the, you know, his loss of his, his brother. You know, carry and that sort of thing. And he just kind of like lost it. And then the next scene, after he's DQ'd, Flair comes into the locker room and he's bleeding from the head. And you say, whoo, man, like, uh, yeah, you know, you, you, you really went over the top or and he wasn't mad. Yeah. And if anybody knows Flair, he probably would have went off script and went nuts. But so that was kind of a cool scene, but. I kind of find that hard to believe that that truly happened. So that's the kind of stuff that that gets me going and irritates me when they have factual stuff wrong like that. Like, did that happen? And I think the only way that you can go back is try to find that video and you got to watch like the 16, 17 minutes of the match. And the way that it portrayed, it was like a two-minute match, which more than likely didn't happen as well, too. So... You've got something on the screen here. And I don't, it's it, Flair getting a claw, getting a claw in, Mar- in May of '85 at Texas Stadium. I'm not sure if that's the same one. There's a little bit of blood, and it was stopped. Okay, so it looks like it. Okay, that's the one at Texas Stadium. That was uh, whatever they that was their big event, you yeah. know, like WrestleMania that they had there in, in Texas, and so that was um, the. The match or yeah, referring to, I believe. I believe that's the match. Yeah, yeah. So again, maybe 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 they nailed it. But overall, I enjoyed the movie. Now I have to go see it. Thank you. You have to see it. Uh, yeah, I'm going. Yeah, to. and then and again, form your own opinion with that as well. Yeah. Too. And but the popcorn now. You know my popcorn. Oh rules. God, yeah. here's popcorn we, story. Well we, well, we don't have to have the popcorn. No, 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 no. I did. So there's a new manager at, at the place where. Where I go, I frequent. Um, you might as well name it. It's a sponsor. Well, yeah, sponsor. Yeah, Brendan Theater. Brendan Theater. Yeah, thank you very much. Like a, they're a so sponsor. New, so, so new manager was there and introduced myself, and we had this great conversation. And he just said, "Hey, please 
make TC some fresh popcorn, this and that. And I go, I didn't even have to ask. You're great. I said, he goes, no, you're right. It should be fresh popcorn. There's nothing like it. This and that, right? So he goes in and instructs the workers, right? And he says, now I want you to catch it out of the thing. I didn't even have to do this. Now, usually, and if I go with people, I take them. They, 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 uh, I'm embarrassed. You're, you're not. You're not going to do this. I, of course, I'm going to do it. I have I'm to have the. Pop- I'm trying to catch it. As yeah, speak. Hold yeah, on. yeah. So I didn't have to bring it up. So I love this manager. Shout out to Preston. Preston, he just read my mind. I go, Preston, you're you're beautiful. He goes, up. Oh, that's the way it should be. He goes, and we're going to catch it in the bag for you, out, out of the popper as it's coming. So Preston got a little busy. He was you know because they have yeah. bar service there. They do all that stuff. So. So now here comes the popcorn. You know me. I'm hovering by the machine, saying, "Okay, you know, get ready, get ready, guys. Get, get, hey. get ready." So the guy he has the bag ready to go, but this poor kid, you could tell, he was first time catcher. He was, he was a minor leaguer. Oh he was, I was He was probably single A rookie ball, and I felt so bad for him because he didn't want to like grab the thing and tip it because it was still popping. Yeah, he's going to burn himself. I didn't want him to do that, but he's trying to hold it and catch it. And then somebody else starts to go for the the thing on the bottom, and I go, "No, stuff's been sitting for four days. No, not not really." Four. <laughs> he goes, "I, I got to do it. I got." So then the other person goes, "Well, he can't put his hand on it because he's got a." I understand. Go talk to Preston. Go, go Preston. Preston. Oh, you already went. Hey, Preston, come here. <laughs> no, I need no, to talk. No. So then this poor kid, it took him like seriously three minutes to fill the bag. Oh. You know, and it was like trickling and trickling. And so the art of it is, and then finally someone else had to come and they get the scooper duper and they, they, they get it, scoop it while it's wait, coming wait. out. They got the yeah. what? The scooper duper, okay. whatever you call it. What do you call that? You know, it's like that silver popcorn scoop. thing. It's not no, a... it's not a scoop like, like you scoop. It's, it's got this, uh, it kind of looks like a triangular thing, something like you, you would, uh, sc- you know, scrape your ice off, you know, almost, uh, you know, in the Midwest. Come on, man. Your popcorn scooper duper. I don't know, but anyway, you gotta you gotta use that. You just can't put the bag and and get like you know three out of every ten kernels that are popping in there. So uh, the popcorn was good. Uh, it was a little husky hey, though. A little by husky. The way, well, yeah. Stainless steel popcorn scoop. Thank you. There you go. That's what I just called. Oh, yeah. Popcorn steel popcorn scoop. Stainless steel. That's that's the one right there. Beautiful. I know it is. Yeah. That's why I'm saying. So I enjoyed it. But it's been a while since I've been in the movies because I there's nothing really that's really tricked my trigger. There hasn't been a, yeah. a good movie. Now, Boys in the Boat, I'm kind of interested. Again, kind of sports movie. But someone said, well, it moves very slow. I don't mind slow movies, you know. As long as it's got the good ending. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You know me. I got to get my popcorn. I can't like eat half the bag before the movies. I, I hate wasting popcorn during the previews, during the trailers. Can't do it. Yeah. Got time out just right. But yeah, I would give the Iron Claw a seven and a half. Okay. I would. No, no, I'll definitely. Maybe even an eight. Maybe even an eight because the wrestling scene, I'll give it an eight because the wrestling scenes were so good. You sold me. All right. You got to go. We come back. Chuck Esposito will join us. We talk betting. What are we going to do at the betting window in the NFL this week? Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and you're listening to TC Martin. He's huge, baby. We get ready for the final week of the regular season in the NFL. And we've got some meaningless games. We've got a couple games that stand out as well, too. Let's hit him and talk to him with our good friend Chuck Esposito. Chuck Esposito. Wow, how about that? 
I got that wrong? See, you got me tongue-tied, and I'm talking so much wrestling last segment. I missed Chuck's name there. Chuck Esposito. Red Rock! What's going on, brother? I'm all good, buddy. No worries at all. Just, uh, you're right, it's week 18. A lot of crazy stuff. Uh, almost more like a preseason week for most of these games, but there's a few really, really good games that we can touch on. Let's talk about the really good ones, Chuck. Where where do you want to start? What is uh, garnishing your attention? And not just your attention, but at the betting window where you maybe have seen some line movement. I think, you know, the, the game that actually kicks off the weekend on Saturday, the the Ravens-Steelers, we know these two teams are, you know, heated rivals. Um, Steelers, you know, want to win and, and get into the playoffs again. Ravens are locked into that number one seed. We know Lamar Jackson isn't going to play in this game. Uh, yet a Raven win, they could knock the Steelers out. These two teams played earlier in the year in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh won 17-10, the lowest point output of the season for the Ravens. And kind of some interesting trends here. Uh, total's gone under in five straight games when the Steelers are playing the Ravens. And Pittsburgh is 6-1 and one straight up their last seven games against the Ravens. Saw this number come down originally and then start to go back up with the news that Jackson won't play. I have to think that a lot of Ravens starters won't play in this game and will rest. And I suspect this number will tick up just a little bit. But it's a Ravens team that you talk about Week 18 being like preseason. Who's been the best preseason team over the last five years? Yeah. The Baltimore Ravens. So we'll see what happens here. And, again, they are arch rivals um, in the AFC North, but an opportunity to knock the Steelers out because, who knows, they could always end up playing them again if the Steelers make the postseason. That's true. Tyler Huntley will get the call at quarterback. And you mentioned the total, Chuck, 35-and-a-half, extremely low in this one. And if you're wondering about Pittsburgh's path to the playoffs, they're 9-7. and seven. Pittsburgh clinches a playoff berth with a win, but they need help. So it's not just clear cut. They need a Miami Dolphins win, or they need so I mean a Buffalo loss because Buffalo's playing uh, the Dolphins, or Pittsburgh could get in if Jacksonville loses or ties, or they can get in with a uh, Houston Indianapolis tie. I mean, there's like five different scenarios here, but the bottom line is they need to win and they need to get help. So uh, just because they win does not necessarily mean that they are in here, Chuck. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want to see the Steelers in the postseason. I mean, I've I've been tired of uh, of their act for a while, and if they get there, they're not going to do anything, even though Mason Rudolph may be the better quarterback right now. But uh, I don't want to see the Steelers. You know, T, I mean, Tomlin's done a, another great job there, and the postseason is a different animal. I mean, you win a lot with defense and sometimes lower-scoring games, and that's kind of the, the Steelers' M.O. Again, uh, it's a Raven team that has really got on track of late and can score from anywhere on the field. Um, Lamar Jackson, I think, has locked up the MVP. But in that earlier meeting against Pittsburgh, they only mustered 10 points. Now, we know Pittsburgh has had their number. Um, they've dominated them of late, but still, that's a high-powered offense to only get to only get ten points in that game. So, Steelers win the way you're supposed to win in the postseason. Um, I don't think anybody would want to see them uh, in the postseason, but it's a Ravens team that already has you know is locked up. They've got some guys banged up. We know Jackson's not going to play. My um, guess is OBJ won't play, and they'll be resting some other guys as well. Just curious to see if this number ticks up or not. Weather could also be a factor in this game. We know, Chuck, especially in these standalone games, that people like to have action on the games here. And is this? Do you anticipate that 
that you're not going to get much action because of the scenario that you just laid out, that the Ravens have nothing to play for. And Pittsburgh, even though they're a pretty public team, they're not a pretty team. They're a four-point road favorite in this game. Do you do you kind of feel that in when you have games like this that it definitely hurts the handle? I, I don't, T, just because it is football. And we talk about during the course of preseason that the preseason games that are really meaningless to both teams – in most cases, garner more handle than, you know, baseball games on those days that are between teams battling for a pennant or battling for wild card spots. So it's still football. These are two really popular teams. It's an isolated game. I still think you're going to see a huge handle on this. It's just somewhat guesswork. I mean, we're in an information era. Um, you know, we, we, we're dialed into that, but we know the guests are as well. Just curious to see if this number ticks up any more, any higher than this based on the fact that we know Baltimore will be resting guys. But this Baltimore team for John Harbaugh always seems to play well. And again, going back to preseason, they've been the best preseason team over five years. I think they take pride in just winning games whenever they're played. So they're definitely not going to take this game lightly against their rivals. No, I agree. You you hit the nail on the head with that. I think that that should uh, factor into handicapping as well, too. I mean, Tyler Huntley is a, is a capable quarterback as well, too. So yeah, it may not be pretty. It may not be very high scoring, but you know, Baltimore, especially as a home dog, uh, especially, you know, and that's the thing too. People don't realize you can't rest everybody. You can rest your starting quarterback or maybe your top wide receiver, uh, but you can't rest. You know, really, your running backs. Maybe your your number one running back, and you can't rest more than you know one or two wide receivers. I mean, you still need to have, uh, you know, players. It's a fifty three man roster, so I think sometimes people get all caught up sometimes, and you know, it's it's different than basketball and some of these other sports where, you know, you you still need to 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 go with some of your horses if they're able to play. So we'll see how that plays out. Yep, no, I agree, T. I think just with these two especially, um, I expect it's going to be a really, really tough game. Let's talk about the nightcap there on Saturday. 5-15, it's Houston and Indianapolis, and plenty to play for here. Both these teams, 9-7, and seven, uh, you know, trying to win this division here, and it's virtually a, a pick'em game, Chuck, and you can make the case that both teams uh, have played pretty well as of late. You know, you could throw in a clunker there a couple weeks ago from the Colts, and and we've seen that from the Texans. But how do you see this game? It opened uh, the Colts one t, and it's totally flipped to the Texans, the favorite now. Um, these two teams did play earlier in the season, a game that the Texans dominated, uh, or um, I'm sorry, the Colts dominated, right. uh, thirty-one to twenty. That was Richardson um, playing in that game against Stroud. I think Stroud has hit his stride um, since then. Both teams are nine and seven. Um, you know, some interesting tidbits here too. A game has gone under in 11 of Houston's last 14 games when playing on the road against Indy. Total has gone under six of Houston's last eight games when playing at Indy. So that kind of favors the under. But on the flip side, the Colts have gone over in five straight home games, and they've gone over in five of their last six games. So it depends which side you kind of like if you think it's going to be more of a high-scoring or low-scoring game. But both teams have played well this year. You know, the Colts lost, as I mentioned, Richardson earlier, but really have played well of late. And the Texans with Stroud, 
Um, and just been dynamic offensively for most of the second half of the season. I mean, talk about the tale of two different games. You got one of the lowest, the lowest total at 35 and a half in the Steeler Raven game. And then one of the higher ones, 47 and a half in that Texans Colts game. And like you said, Chuck, you wouldn't think that you have high octane offenses with either one of these teams, but you are playing indoors and they played some low scoring, uh, you know, close games in the past, but. Like I said, 47 and a half. And if you go back to the, uh, earlier game, like you said, 31 20 Colts, that, you know, that, that's an intriguing number. And I, I could see where you could probably get some good two way action on this game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good game. I think both Saturday games are good, T. Um, uh, another game on Sunday that really kind of jumps off the page to me is the oldest rivalry in pro football. Yep. And that's the Bears and Packers. Um, I guess if you listen to Aaron Rodgers, it's not a rivalry because the Bears can't beat them. They've lost eight straight. Um, we know that his his mantra was, we own you, uh, and they have. Um, but it's a Packer team that last year on Week 18, they played in the Sunday night game and got knocked off by the Detroit Lions in a meaningless game to Detroit. Very similar kind of situation where Detroit was a young and upcoming team, played well in the second half, was trying to build off that. They went into Lambeau and won. Chicago's looking to kind of do the same thing here. Bears have been 5-1 and one against the spread their last six games, 4-1 and one straight up in their last five games. But as I mentioned earlier, Green Bay has really owned them over the last eight games. So kind of a big game for both these teams. I think the Packers to have a chance to get into the postseason and build on Jordan Love and those young offensive players and the Bears who are kind of looking to build on what they did the second half of the season. The Bears team that that led a number of games by double digits, three games this year, and found a way to lose in the fourth quarter. They built on that. They also are on the clock for the first pick in the draft and have a big decision to make with Justin Fields and what they do with coaching and, and general manager. I think this is a game the Bears really want to show and play well. They're not laying down in this meaningless game. And it's a big game of the Packers, but again, the same M.O. as last year, Week 18, in the NFC North when Detroit had to go up to Lambeau and knocked off the Packers. Can they, can they change it this year? and actually win that home game to get into the postseason. I agree with you, Chuck. And, and for me, I've watched this Bears team the last few weeks, and I'm impressed. And I've really liked their defense all season long. But you mentioned they've won four of the last five games. You can make the case that they should have a five-game winning streak because that game against Cleveland where they lost 20-17, to 17, uh, they probably should have won that game. But here's what the Bears do, too. If you can grab the Bears getting any type of points, and especially on a teaser and tease this thing up to, to double digits at 10, uh, you take them because they play in close games. I can't remember the last time that they lost in blowout fashion. I think I got to go back to the Chargers game going back to end of October. Um, and they lost to the Saints by one score. But for the most part, they are in every game. They don't score a ton of points, but their defense has carried them. Now, I think the Bears are live here. And then you add a, the emotional factor that you talked about. Like, hey, man, we're getting tired of, of getting beat, or, uh, beat up by the Packers. And yeah, there is no Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, you know, on the field, it is Jordan Love, and sure, the Packers, they showed up at Minnesota last week, but for the most part, the Packers have not been good. I'm with you, man. I like the Bears in this one. Well, I think too, T, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with that first pick in the draft. You've got Drake May, you've got Caleb Williams, um, and the Bears have a young, still have a young quarterback on his rookie deal in Justin Fields. The crowd was chanting for Justin Fields at the end of that game. But, you know, we've seen him now for three years. You look at his win-loss record. Um, he's gotten better this year. Um, he, we know he's dynamic. We know he's a playmaker. But inside the pocket, he does struggle at times. There's a chance that this is his last game for the Bears as well. 
So not only from that emotional standpoint, but maybe he's showing the other you know teams in the league that he can still play, and you know does he up his trade value here? So I think there's a lot of kind of things at play here uh, for both these two teams. And again, the oldest rivalry in football, it's a big rival. It's, it's you know the the nasty NFC North. So I'm looking forward to this game too, even though it only means really something to one team as far as the postseason goes. No, I, I think the Bears are going to show up for all the reasons that you've mentioned there. And again, they they're playing good football. I mean, they've really had nothing to play for the last few weeks, but they've shown up and they and they've played. And that defense has really stood out. Uh, the Sunday night game obviously is the marquee game. It's Buffalo and Miami. This may surprise some people that this line opened with Buffalo, the visitor, as a three-point favorite here. Miami is all banged up on both sides of the ball. Buffalo playing some very good football. They're playing for their playoff lives, as we know, and they're dangerous. But still, even last week, Chuck, even though they didn't cover against the Patriots, they won the game. Not overly outstanding. And Josh Allen, not overly great uh, as well, too. And this Buffalo Bills team, as much as I know people are afraid to play them in the postseason, they're kind of like the Cowboys. They're kind of like the Chiefs. Where and kind of like the Eagles, you know the talent is there, but they're just not putting it together week in and week out. Well, I think to you look at Buffalo and you know whoever wins this game wins the division. Their team's a wild card team, but nobody's going to want to play Buffalo in Buffalo in January. It is one of those teams that you have a, a tremendous home field advantage. They're seven and two at home this year. If you look at Miami too, Miami's seven and one at home this year. Their only loss. They led um, the Tennessee Titans on Monday night football, that doubleheader night. Uh, they led by double digits in the fourth quarter, but found a way to lose by one point. They've, they have been dominant at home. Granted, they've got some injuries in Chubb and Howard and some key players on offense, but this is an opportunity for a Dolphin team that does have that signature win against the Cowboys, lost earlier in Buffalo to lock down this spot and have some home games in the postseason. I think three points is a lot. Me, personally, there's some interesting betting trends here, too. I mean, Buffalo 10-1 and in their last 11 games straight up against the Dolphins. They've owned the Dolphins like the Packers have owned the Bears. Buffalo 5-1 and straight up in their last six games. Miami 8-1 and straight up in their last nine home games. And 7-2 and against the number in their last nine games at home. So it's a Dolphin team that has been dominant at home, especially over the second half of the season. And again, one loss by one point at home. If not, they'd be undefeated at home this year. So great game on Sunday Night Football to end the season, knowing that one of these teams is the AFC East champ and one drops down to a wild card team. Big difference for these two teams that really both have a huge home field advantage. All right, Chuck, quick take uh, on Monday's championship game between Washington and Michigan. We see the line four and a half. Have you seen any early action on this game? And give me some thoughts. It's really ping pong back and forth a bit, T. Opened at four, went to four and a half, back to four, four and a half again. I think it's a huge contrast in styles. Uh, we see a lot of action on the Washington money line. Washington a year ago when we put up to be the national champion this year was opened up at 45 to 1. So if you're one of the lucky guests that has a ticket at 45 to 1, you're definitely smiling. But huge contrast in style. Penix for me now has worked his way into the first round. His deep ball is unbelievable. I can just see him if the Minnesota Vikings grabbed him with Jordan Addison and Justin Jefferson. Well, what a quarterback he would be there. Just me 
guessing and playing draft guru a little bit early. But I think one team plays much more open. Another team wants to smash you in the mouth and really control tempo, and that's Michigan. The one thing you worry about is Washington's defense was ranked outside the top 100. So can Michigan control clock? Can they, you know, just eat it up with with uh, Blake Corrin and really dominate that game? Or is Michael Penix, who's only been sacked 11 times this year, you know that Michigan had six sacks against Alabama, but Penix does not get sacked with that offensive line. Can they get to him, put pressure on him, and change kind of the complexion of the game? But really a different style of play for these two teams. But like the committee or not, like the way it worked out or not, hey, both these teams, 13-0 and during the regular season. They both win their playoff game, and that's why they're playing in the national championship game next week. No, and you couldn't have a, a better setup. Uh, and I think that line is uh, very intriguing at four and a half. Uh, a lot of two-way action, hence that's why it's ping-ponging back and forth, like you said. And you got a great quarterback in Penix. The, the, you bring up a great point, and I talked about it myself, about the Washington defense. It makes it intriguing, Chuck. It really does. Uh, and again, as we know, uh, Washington continues to get the job done and i've gone against him you know in those oregon games and then last week as well too uh thinking the defense is uh you know going to be their achilles heel but you know what uh it's going to be interesting to see if they can pull off a championship because usually you need to have the defense uh to to basically you know be underneath the confetti at the national championship so we'll, well see. Real, real quick t you know this is the last pack 10 pack 12 championship game yeah, i know so, i mean you think about it, they could end it that way yeah. um under this coaching regime they're five and zero straight up in the role of a dog huskies are dogs so who knows how this works right. out you know right. it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch um you know again i think it's a big difference in, in styles here but anxious to kind of see the way it works out. This could be potentially, I mean, it is Washington's last game in the Pac-12, and it could be Harbaugh's last game in Michigan. Who knows? So we'll see what happens on Monday night. And they'll both be future Big Ten opponents. Chuck, we appreciate uh, the time, brother. Take care. Enjoy. We'll talk to you next week. All right, T. Thanks, buddy. Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock STN mobile app. So easy to use. The new and improved app. Go check that out as well, too. I want to thank Houston Nutt for joining us today. Trevor Maddich, great stuff. Those will be up on the website after the show, so hang tight for that. Go check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. All right, for Nubchuck, TC saying, The Claw. Putting the Claw on you right now.